Well, welcome back to Worst Seats in the House. Mike Russo, Anthony LaPanta coming to you from the Aquarius Home Services studio. Uh, we're both on uh, location. Uh, my studio's uh, for a change at my home uh, here in the tw- in the Twin Cities. And Anthony's over at the ballpark target field. Uh, Solano just hit a three-run bang for a 4-1 Twins lead. And, um, and man, Anthony, this is my first. So this is my second day in Minnesota in the last 26 days, I think, between the Eastern – Final in the Stanley Cup final. And when I landed last night from Vegas, I have not been paying attention to all these forest fires and how it's affected the air quality here. Um, you know, the, the fires in Alberta. I'm not kidding you. I landed around 1140 from Vegas last night and I looked out the window and I thought we were in like an apocalypse. It was so it was the, the smoke was unbelievable and so visible from the air. And then when I was walking to my car, I, I, you could barely breathe. Yeah, it's been bad. And my daughter, Gianni, who lives out on the East Coast, was out there about a week or so ago when it was at its peak in New York. And I don't know what this number means, but the air problematic, the air quality number was in the mid 300s in New York. That was the day they canceled the White Sox-Yankees game because the air quality was so bad. And we were out last night. Uh, Margo and I went out to celebrate our wedding anniversary and stopped at Seven Vines, a place I know you've been with us before, sat outside on the patio, and it was this eerie oh, haze. And it just, it it was, it was an apocalyptic feel to things where it was, it just felt like you were in a some kind of a movie set where like a day after tomorrow kind of thing. And there was an eerie feel to it. And our number was in like the mid 200s. And when we got home and we were looking at some of the forecasts and things for today to find out that the Twin Cities was the worst air quality in North America at that point was crazy. It's But the Twins games have been that way. We've been, you sit in the press box and you look out and there's just this, it's like a smog. It, it was, it's been bad. And yeah, the, the eyes burning a little and the little taste of ash in your mouth everywhere you go, it just, it's unfortunate for sure, and there's people dealing with worse things than us with air, but it's it's no fun. Yeah, I like a little peaty uh, taste in my scotch. I don't know about my wine. <laughs> I can't even yeah. imagine. Um, although we all might be having uh, uh, peaty tastes in our wine in the next two or three years uh, with those fires a couple of years ago in Napa. I heard those uh, wines have essentially been ruined. Um, so, uh, man, but uh, yeah, it's been uh, bad, but at least today uh, you can go out and have a nice walk and not feel like you're uh, breathing in uh, breathing in fire. Uh, June 22nd is our next live show. That is a week from today at Elsie's in uh, Northeast Minneapolis, right on the east side of the Mississippi River. Uh, right there in uh, Minneapolis. Uh, awesome, awesome place. We'll be in the ballroom there. It's been a while since we've been at Elsie's. We've had some of our most fun podcasts uh, there. So hopefully everybody comes on out. The draft is four days later, or at least, sorry, excuse me, I leave for the draft four days later. The draft is actually six days later um, in yeah, Nashville. The draft really starts when you leave. Yeah, exactly. Um, but we'll be previewing the draft. I know Anthony's been hard at work uh, going over mock drafts every day. <laughs> Um, but we'll be previewing the draft uh, and potential offseason movement as well. And we're also planning a June 30th podcast at Split Rock so uh, that we will go over the draft and uh, and a preview of free agency, which starts the next day. It'll be a quiet free agency, we're assuming, for the while this year, Anthony. Quiet unless it's noisy because of big trades. And right. It, it just never seems like anything will surprise us with this wild club. Yeah, I think – 
all indications are that it'll be a pretty quiet free agency for sure. And I would assume we'd start to hear some news here with the Wild and their some of their uh, contract decisions within the next got to be within the next week or so there's got to be some things that start to move prior to the draft and free agency don't you think yeah you would you would hope so because i think they got to start counting money um you know joe smith my colleague over at the athletic wrote a story um yesterday where where you know what he's hearing is that he does not think that uh or don't be surprised if the philip gustafson contract doesn't come until after the draft um which i know it has to be disappointing to the minnesota wild because this is something they've been working on for a month, month and a half, and, and figured it would be uh, easy to get done. But, you know, Philip had a heck of a season. It changes sort of what the, uh, what the, what the price command he thinks in his mind that he can get. Um, but look, the Wild, as we've discussed a thousand times on the show, Anthony, there's, this is not something, there's got to be a final number. There is, this is not something that they could sit there and massage and all right, you give them maybe an extra million. Uh, they, they've got they've got very little cap space. Assuming the cap goes up a million, they're basically at nine million going into next year. And Philip Gustafson is not the only one that they need to resign. Obviously, they need to make other moves. And again, nine million is not a lot because you want to come in under that because you're going to need to try to get have enough wiggle room to have external changes to have uh, injury call-ups and things like that, um, Anthony. So uh, I still think that they're going to need to create some more space this summer to uh, figure out a way to, to field a, a competent roster next year. Yeah, and these are the kind of negotiations that you hope don't linger and then carry over into relationships into the future because it could happen where not only do the Wild want to get this done and get it done soon so that they can plan for things, but if all of a sudden – it gets to the draft and to free agency and it's not yet resolved. And that hamstrings Minnesota in any way to come up with plan B. If, if it doesn't involve Gustafson that then let's say you do get it done. You can all of a sudden see it like, Hey, look, you really, you put us back us into a corner. You at a time where we really just needed people to be reasonable. Everybody knew what our cap situation was we could say, look, we'd prefer to give you more money, but we can't. And you know that, we know that, so let's make the best deal we can make or just tell us you're not that it isn't going to work so we can move on. And if you wind up signing the player and feel like they screwed you over in this spot, it could lead to some bad blood in the future. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I agree with you. I think that Look, we understand the business, but I do think the one thing that Phillips got to understand is that again, this is there's just a, so much that they could give him. I mean, it, you know, this is not something they can start. You know, just expect four and a half based off one year. He's got a hardliner agent. Um, Joe talked to him a couple of weeks ago, Joe Smith, and and uh, you know, the one thing Kurt Overhart did say it's just a matter of when, uh, not if. It doesn't sound like he's trying to play hardball to the point that he's going to try to go out and 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 shop around for offer sheets and things like that. But Phillips got to understand that for every penny he gets more than maybe his market value, that's going to affect the team. Like that's going to affect what is in front of him. And part of what made him so good last year is how good the Wild were at times defensively in front of him. Yeah, absolutely, they were, and that's that's all part of, I guess, the the point I was trying to make is that if yeah. you wind up with somebody who decides to milk you for every nickel right now knowing the kind of situation you're in rather than saying 
all right, let's do a, a three-year deal that's reasonable for both sides right now. And, and if I'm, let's say I'm speaking now as the agent for Gustafson and say, but we're going to bet on ourselves and say that three years from now, our value is even higher. And at that point, we'd ex- then both sides would expect that there'd have to be a bigger number associated with the contract. And at that point, I think both sides could be reasonable and say, all right, let's now let's make a deal that we both would have loved to have made three years ago, but couldn't. Yeah, I, I um, totally agree. And again, just on one other thing on Phillips' part, like I get also his agent. His agent's so well aware that Wallstead's in the future that he's trying to maximize his, his clients, uh, one, money, but probably term as well. And as we've said on the show um, the last you know several, uh, you know, I still think it's going to be a one-year deal, a three-year three deal, or, uh, or the Wilder is just going to elect arbitration on July 6th, and we'll see where that goes. Um, another one, uh, Anthony, that we're kind of half expecting is a Kalen Addison trade at some point. I still think that, you know, it's a bit of a, a risk uh, just for somebody uh, that young and that offensive. You know, they, if, they, if they trade him, who's quarterbacking the power play and things like that, you're probably just going to say Jared Spurgeon's that – that guy, but, but, you know, again, a 23 year old defenseman, um, do you at this point just think it's a predetermined thing that he's going to get dealt at some point? No, I don't necessarily think that, but I think anytime you trade a player, there's risk. Any, any trade, when you send a player away, you're always in the back of your mind thinking, boy, what if he just blossoms? Look back. Jordan Greenway trade was risky. There's a chance he's going to go and all of a sudden, discover or Buffalo will discover in Greenway what Minnesota always thought they might find in him. And he becomes a terrific supplemental scoring type winger, a big physical body. And so there's always risk. You're always worried that the guy you trade is going to turn into something better somewhere else. But I think with Addison, I I don't know. Foregone conclusion might be a strong word because I don't think it necessarily is that. I don't think that they are. They're not in a spot where they have to trade him. They're just in a spot where it might make the most sense to trade him because he might have more value to somebody else than he has here. And so I, I think if the deal's right, they'll trade him. And if and if not, they'll hang on to him. He's not a guy who is boy, we have to get rid of him because the contract number's big or we need the spot in the roster. None of those things are are the case. So I think if they don't get the right kind of offer for him, you go into the season saying he's our seventh defenseman and if we need power play sparks from time to time, he might be in the lineup for 8, 10, 12, 14 games in a row to quarterback the power play and be on the third set. What what about Galagasi, Anthony? uh, uh, uh. Bill Guerin met with him last week. He's now the ball's in his court. He has to let Bill Guerin know, and maybe that's already happened uh, since uh, Joe's report that um, whether or not he wants to move. But even if he wants to move, he's you know at his age, um, and the fact that people around the league look at the fact that hey, he was scratched what forty times this year, didn't play in the playoffs. Um, do, do you even think that he is? somebody that they can trade. I had a GM the other day that basically asked me, he goes, why do you keep on writing that Goligoski might wave his no move clause? Like who's taking him at this point? Um, because the, at least in this GM's mind, the perception out there is that since he couldn't play um, here in Minnesota, that there must be something wrong with him. I think you and I that watched him every day don't agree with that assessment. Um, but do you think that he's even at this point, somebody that can be traded? 
Yeah, I do. I think I think he's better than the six defensemen on a lot of teams in this league. But then you start to look at it and say, all right, well, what type of team would trade for a guy like him? Would it be a team that's a young, up-and-coming type team where they just feel like they need a veteran defenseman? Would it be a, a team that's a fringe playoff club that feels like a depth defenseman might be an important piece to the puzzle. I think it just depends on fit, but I don't think there's any question he can still play. And yes, he was scratched half the time this season, but it was, as we talked late in the year, it was so different than last year where last year he was in the lineup every night for the first half of the season. And then all of a sudden in the back half, couldn't get in the lineup. And this year it was the reverse where in the first half, it felt like he was only in if somebody else was out and then down the stretch, he was playing every night, but yet you're right. Then when the playoffs started, he was on the outside looking in and even in a situation where the penalty kill became one of the major problems in the first round series, they never did tap him to come in and, and try to help solidify things on the kill so I, I don't know. I, I I do think sometimes how a player is used can certainly affect the perception around the league and his trade value around the league. But I but Goligoski is a guy who has enough of a resume that I think people out there know what he's capable of doing, and he's still got juice in his legs, and maybe isn't a guy that can be a a guy that you lean on for twenty two minutes a night all season, but certainly a guy who could help an NHL team. Yeah, uh, it'll be interesting what happens because he can still play, and the way their blue line is sort of being reinvented, especially if you trade Addison and losing Dumba, you 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 know you, one's got to think he's going to play next year, and even if you trade him, Anthony, it's not like I'm like all right, yeah, it frees up two million, but guy, but you got to replace that. You might not be signing a two million dollar defenseman, but right. uh, it's not like you're saving a lot of money there. So to me, this is just does Alex is Alex comfortable was sort of being in the same role next year. And if he is, and then, then I think it makes sense mostly to, I think uh, if you look at the Goligoski contract in a vacuum, is Alex Goligoski worth 2 million a year? Yes. Yep. Is Alex Goligoski worth 2 million a year with a cap strap team like Minnesota? That's a bigger question and right. a more difficult question to answer. But if you just look at what he can provide and what that price tag is, I think without a doubt, it's a contract that is, accurate in terms of the return that you could expect to get. But I do think the the way Minnesota's defensive core is built is interesting. And it's we're kind of maybe jumping ahead on topics here. But when you look at the team that just hoisted the cup at the end, their defensive core is significantly different than Minnesota's in terms of stature and size and strength. And in this league, so many times when teams win, then everybody thinks, well, that's the tick. That's the path. That's the the blueprint for success. And if that's the case, you got to think Minnesota is going to be looking at their decor, saying, "Well, we need more girth on the back end." Addison doesn't bring that. Goligoski doesn't bring that. And you have to. All right, or the couple of the products certainly are bigger in terms of physical size and stature, but are they ready fast enough to really change? Because there is Jared Spurgeon isn't going to come to camp 40 pounds heavier. Jonas Brodies isn't going to come to camp and all of a sudden be, be an Alex Petrangelo type guy. Brock Faber's sturdy, but he's not exactly 
expected to be like a big bruising type defenseman. So I, I think it'll be interesting to see how Minnesota chooses to build that defensive core. Yep, I agree. And, and we'll talk a little bit more about that uh, in a couple of seconds because I, I like that topic uh, that you brought up and completely agree with you on uh, the copycat league and how the Wild uh, maybe almost can't copycat unless you're dealing with the third pair here. But I want to tell everybody about Aquarius Home Services and I've been telling you about them for years here on the show. And Connecticut Water, uh, Connecticut water tree, uh, Systems are designed to tackle the toughest well water out there. And Minnesota can have some pretty nasty well water. Eliminate orange rust staining. Get rid of any white scale buildup and bad odor. Smell from your water and get that great tasting drinking water right from your sink. You will see, feel, and taste the difference that the non-electric Connecticut Water Treatment System and Drinking Water System make in your home or cabin. And everybody's going up to their cabins these days, except for me. I need to get one. Uh, my friends over at Aquarius Home Services Connecticut offer a free water analysis. Aquarius believes in earning the right to be recommended. Just give them a ring and they'll come out and do their your free water analysis today. They're just a click away at AquariusHomeServices.com. And don't forget to mention Russo sent you. Anthony, tell us about Moe's. Well, Moe's, as we talk throughout the hockey season, a great place to go while you're there for a hockey game at right at Fogarty Arena. The Ice House there is a terrific spot to watch hockey, but it's also a great place to watch hockey on TV by heading into Moe's. But you can go there during the summertime, too. It's a great place to watch a ball game. If you're out at a Little League park or a softball park when your game is over, stop into Moe's for a great dinner on the way home. Terrific sandwiches, uh, solid pizza menu as well. You won't be disappointed. It's a great spot, conveniently located in Blaine, right off of Highway 65 at Fogarty Arena. It's Moe's. It's a great place to go on a summer night to watch a ball game. And here's a word from Royal Credit Union. Open a 5.25% annual percentage yield 15-month certificate from Royal Credit Union. Open now at rcu.org slash certificate 525. Early withdrawal penalties could reduce earnings and principal. APY accurate as of 6-5-23. Insured by NCUA. Back here, we're seats in the house. Michael Russo, Anthony LaPanta, June 22nd, a week from today, or a week from the day that we're recording this, I should say. Uh, June 22nd at Elsie's 7 p.m. Come on out and see us. And Anthony, let's uh, talk about what you were di- what you were discussing. I've gotten a lot gotten this question a lot lately, and you know, uh, it is a copycat league. And a lot of times, you see teams look at the team that just won the cup and say, "Hey, how can we embody that? How can we emulate that?" And you know, you look at the the blue line for Vegas, and anybody would want to emulate that. Um, not just size, but their high-end size. You can't just you know say, all right, we're getting bigger, and then get a bunch of schlubs out there. These are all really quality defensemen that they have. I mean, Petro Angelo, Alec Martinez, um, Shea Theodore, these are special, special defensemen. But then they round it out with big, lengthy defensemen that are really good. And not necessarily – you don't have to be physical. They're just big and lengthy, and they get in the pop- proper positions. They're they're blocking shots, everything in Hague and White Cloud and Braden McNabb. Um, but with the way the Wild are built, they are really the complete opposite of that. Really quality uh, blue line, but one that seems to be – it's becoming a trend not nearly as functional in the playoffs. How do you fix that when you have Spurgeon and Brodeen who get you to the playoffs every year by being high-end defensemen but maybe take a step back once they're there? Well, I think this year they did in that they had such a, a high-quality regular season. And – I. I, it's a copycat league, but there's also more than one ways to win. This Vegas club was built on a strong defensive core 
and a deep forward group. Maybe not necessarily the most explosive upfront forward group, but deep and balanced. And I think in a lot of ways, their club was built in a similar fashion to Minnesota's other than maybe the stature of their defense. But Minnesota was built on a defensive core and then a deep and balanced lineup that could cause people trouble just based on that. And where I think Vegas was different is that they were able to withstand so many changes in goal because of just how rigid they were. But when you look back, I remember late in the regular season when the Wild were facing Vegas, and we were talking about that these two teams are very similar in their commitment to blocking shots. And even though their structure is a little different in their own zone, in terms of the way they block shots and how the how Vegas chooses to kind of clog things up in that manner. And Minnesota can be a little bit more of a, a smothering defense because they're mobile and can skate. And if you look at the recent, like Colorado, you wouldn't say who won it the year before, they certainly didn't win it with girth on the blue line. They had some strength, but they're more of a skating and mobile defensive core you look at the tampa teams that won they had some size but you probably didn't look at their defensive core and say that they won because of their size i think you'd say they won maybe more of their skill on the back end so i think you can it depends on what you're doing up front and i think that combination for vegas is what made them a handful and and they were the best team they were the best team throughout the entire playoff they they clearly were the best team coming out of the West, and it, you know they, I thought they were probably the best team going in, and they took advantage of that. And Florida just kind of lost their magic and ran out of gas at the end. Uh, totally agree with you, and um, and to your point too, Bruce Cassidy pointed that out. The way Vegas is built works for them, but when he took Boston to Game Seven of the Stanley Cup Final, nobody could ever accuse them other than maybe Chara of being the biggest blue line in the world. They were led by guys like Tory Krug and, and people like that. We'll go to right. Twitter questions in a couple seconds, but Anthony, I, I do want to, I don't know how much of the Stanley cup final uh, you watched. It wasn't the most compelling Stanley cup final in history. That's for sure. Um, and, and that was really emblematic in the, in game five, where it was a nine, three victory for Stanley cup final team to ever score nine goals in a clinching game. Um, you know, uh, Obviously hurt the team that that Matthew Kachuk was out, uh, played hurt in game four, was out in game five. Um, But this Vegas team, to your point originally, they are so deep up front. It is absolutely ridiculous. They can defend. Any line can defend. They can score from any line. Um, Their fourth line might be the best in the league. And I think all that allows you to win a cup with Aiden Hill and Nett. Yeah, well, go back to your original point. I I watched a fair amount of this. Cup final, but it, it, I think there were just a lot of teams that could have come out of the East that would have made it a more interesting final. I would have loved to have seen Boston go up against Vegas, would have loved to have seen Tampa or Carolina or even New Jersey, the Rangers, all of those teams. And I just keep going back to what it, it's bizarre what happened for Florida to get Chicago beating Pittsburgh the last day of the season to even get into the playoffs, to the the way that they beat Boston in that first-round series. Boston has the series won in Game 5, yeah. and all of a sudden you're looking – if Florida loses Game 5, Marshan scores on that breakaway, We don't. most people don't even remember that Florida was in the playoffs. 
And instead, you know, they wind up, Bobrovsky rediscovers his form and every bounce seems to go their way. And, and all of a sudden they're in the final. And I'm not trying to take anything away from them. I'm just saying they weren't the best team in the Eastern Conference. They were the best team for about a week and a half or two weeks. And that's it. And therefore, the final lacked some of the compelling nature that it could have had with any one of these other teams in it. And think of any one of those other teams would have been a better matchup for Vegas in the final. And, you know, Florida clearly was playing through some stuff and maybe Vegas was too. And we just don't know about it yet. But and that's that certainly can't be ignored. But I, they weren't the best team in the East, and they they probably got what you expected they would get all throughout when the playoffs started. Finally just caught up with them in the Vegas series. Absolutely. Um, let's go back to the wild here. Um, got a bunch of Twitter questions, uh, but I did want to uh, continue talking about some of the unsigned players. Um, I, I sat there the other day uh, with Pierre Lebron in the lobby of our hotel and spent all day working on our, our athletic trade board. And we talked to a bunch of different GMs and league sources and, and agents and, and people like that. And the one name that at least is being bandied about right now is Brandon Duhame, which leads me to believe that either his agent's playing hardball or they just want to see what potential he could get. I do get the impression inside the organization they're a little worried about committing to him too long and too much money just because of his history with concussions and his health issues, uh, Anthony. Um, but as of right now, you know, I still think that they wound up re-signing Brandon Duhame, but the but I can tell you his name is being talked about out there. Yeah, and yeah, as is always the case, then the question becomes the return. And as we saw out of nowhere with Jordan Greenway, if all of a sudden the return is something that you can't pass, the deal could be made even if they right now are looking at him thinking, we absolutely want this guy back. And I, I don't doubt for a minute that they think he's a part of the future and that they think he's a valuable piece. But if you all of a sudden get an offer you can't refuse – then you have to pull the trigger, and I don't know. I haven't. I, I trust your sources that tell you that his name's being discussed. It also probably tells you that, as we've speculated from the beginning, the Wild are really serious about trying to bring Ryan Reeves back because if you bring Reeves back, in theory, you might have a spot on the bottom six bottom three perhaps in your forward lineup and that's where Duhame is most likely to land if you don't think you're going to get Reeves back then Duhame becomes a necessary piece to keep yeah I agree with you um you know and, and he's could play up your lineup he could score could kill penalties um you know but if he's healthy that's the key and clearly last year he had a couple of uh significant head issues that uh that they might be getting worried about um, I, I still think that they wind up re-signing him. Um, Sam Steele is an interesting one. I just don't buy that they're going to tender him a qualifying offer, uh, but we'll see. Um, and then the other one is Mason Shaw. You know, does he start an LTI? Can they sign him to an AHL deal? I know that's stuff that they were going to investigate. Um, and, you know, and then you could sign him to an AHL deal, have him rehab, and then bring him back up. Um, and or turn that into an NHL deal. That was something that they were at least going to look to see if they could uh, ultimately do. I still think that they just re-sign him and then uh, then place him on LTI if they need to go over the cap by his salary. Uh, but but uh, but we'll see what happens there. Uh, let's go to Twitter questions, Anthony. Um, first one, 
Yeah, one uh, quick thing yep. before we move on to the, just talking about the, the LTI situation. Every year about this time, especially these last couple, I'm shocked that there is more chatter among GMs about the fact that we now had two out of the last three champions that have used the loophole in the system that allows them to be significantly over the cap in the playoffs. And I, they, those guys are the guys who have to be the impetus behind change. And again, this year, it doesn't seem to be uh, much of an appetite for it, but I'm shocked that that's the case when you look at a Vegas team that fielded a lineup for this playoff run that would not have been legal during the regular season. Yeah, I mean, there needs to be some sort of mechanism, but it's not an easy thing to do on how that you have to be uh, cap compliant in uh, in the playoffs. And and that to I me think is- you have to. I think right now yeah. this just does not. It doesn't make any sense that in a league that is as rigid with the cap and therefore as balanced the league as there pos- as there is among the ma- the four major pro sports leagues that you allow teams to be less than cap compliant I mean I shouldn't say that because they are cap compliant based on the rules but it doesn't seem to jive with the fact that all year you require these teams every single day to to the penny be compliant with the cap and yet then in the playoffs you say that doesn't matter. The cap doesn't matter anymore at this point. You can have players that would be making the equivalent of $10 million over the cap. Yeah. Um, you know, I still, like, I look at it as, as, like, Tampa, it was clear. Like, it couldn't have been more transparent what they were doing. It was fishy. It was BS. Um, yeah. They knew they were going to the be more, in the playoffs, yeah. so they yeah. knew that they, yeah. they could just leave Kucherov on the sidelines and yep. and Vegas did to some degree because when they traded for Jack Eichel, everybody on the planet knew that that was going to put them over the cap. So they just throw another guy on long term IR who's miraculously healthy when the playoffs start. Yep. And the only thing I'll say there is ago, that, like, but, yeah, yeah. The only thing I to me that one was more like it was convenient, but it was to me it was more real. Like 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 Mark Stone in January got hurt and needed back surgery. Um, a second oh, one, absolutely. Several, you know, and, and so, you know, he just, you're right. I mean, he happened to come back right for the playoffs, but that one, the, the Kucherov thing was planned from like the off season on, you know, I mean, right. it was just ridiculous. Um, all right, let's go to Twitter questions. Uh, Deagle Jenkins has any chance we are in on Elias Lindholm can't afford him. Um, can't afford anybody. Um, Minnesota ice is nice as uh, thoughts on the athletic moving away. Uh, from local coverage. Uh, they're not moving away from local coverage in Minnesota. I could tell you that, um, you know, where they're moving away from local coverages is, is just markets that have just not uh, for some reason connected and, uh, and become successful markets for the athletic. I mean, the business model, when we went into every single place, you know, it was always going to be risky and there are just some places where there just was no traction gained. And so, you know, we, we still are going to cover every single team, but there's just, you know, some markets that we might, that we might have a beat writer in that's still going to cover that team, but may, may venture off to do other things or national things at times. Um, and then there are some markets that we're, again, we might ha- have anybody in, but we're going to still try to cover them from afar. But uh, in terms of Minnesota, uh, nothing is changing for any of the sports teams. Uh, but it is funny, Anthony. I mean, you and I have talked about this since I went to the athletic is that you always wondered how this was going to work. And now we've been sold by the New York times and they're trying to sort of change paths 
and directions uh, based on trying to get to be the healthiest company we have. But we still have 500 something employees at the athletic um, and we're going to still cover, uh, I could promise you the Minnesota teams like a blanket. Yeah. And I, I think it's where it was just different. So to me, it was when you looked at the business model, it was risky and only in that it was something that was totally different from what was out there. And there were some elements to it. I'm not trying to say I was an expert in the field of, of electronic media in any way. But there were some things that when I looked at it, I, thought, I wonder how that can possibly survive long term. I'm kind of curious, I, and I haven't looked at it at all to know the answer to this question, but are the markets where the athletic has struggled to get traction, do they coincide with markets where they have strong newspaper presences in those towns? Well, you know, I mean, like I, I could, I'll just give one is South Florida because I just covered the the series for the, from a Panthers beat writer perspective, and there's three major newspapers down there, but it's not like they invest in covering the Panthers. Um, you know, those Panthers, those the, uh, here's a good example. The Sun Sentinel I used to work at was one of the best sports sections in the country. There were thirty something sports writers there. Now there's five in the entire newspaper. Those newspapers down there are a shell of what it used to be. So. Um, there are just certain markets where it's tough to have people read you. I mean, you know, and that was always the case down in, in Florida and its other market. Everyone is a little bit different. There's no doubt. Um, you know, so, um, but, uh, but again, it's not like we're punting on Minnesota. Um, no, there's clearly an appetite for the coverage in Minnesota and not just for the wild, the, for the wild, it's terrific, but the athletic, I think is probably as well read as either of the newspapers when it comes to their twins coverage uh, the that that I've experienced firsthand because I do cover some of the twins games so I, Dan Hayes does a terrific job with the twins coverage and I'm not a I don't follow a ton of the articles with the Timberwolves but I'm assuming that that's as well received as the wild and the twins are yeah, I mean, John Krasinski, as good as it is, and we have a new kid, Alex, Alec Lewis, that covers the Vikings. Um, oof, what a play there. Oh, no, I was going to say a great play by the third baseman, and then he overthrew it. Um, all right, so <laughs> I'm watching the Twins games probably closer than you are right now. Um, <laughs> I'm paying attention with one eye. Yeah. Um, hey, uh, but you know what? Now that we're on the subject, let me, let me ask you about TV. So I'm sitting on a plane next to somebody the other day um, that um, – that, uh, works in Buffalo. So he's, he was working for TNT and, and he is somebody very heavily involved in all the Buffalo Sabres telecasts. And he thinks that, that all sports, local sports teams are going to have to take the Buffalo Sabres model where basically the Buffalo, I didn't know this until he told me. So the Buffalo Sabres owns their telecast. And so everybody that works on those Buffalo Sabres telecasts, the announcers, the crew, the directors, the producers, they all are paid by the Sabres. And then they sell it out to MSG. MSG basically pays a rights fee to um, to distribute to distribute it out on their network. Do you think that is going to be sort of the way of the future, where basically that'll save some of the issues that that are happening right now in Diamond and some of the other local uh, so local um, locally owned uh, parent companies? Well, that's one of the potential solutions. There's several and. That's what just happened with the one of the regionals that was owned by Sinclair, which was our okay. parent company and run by Diamond Sports, was the Padres, yeah. where the our company just said, we, we can't, this isn't a viable 
rights agreement anymore. The, the landscape has changed and it's not, we cannot pay the amount of money that we agreed to pay when the rights deal was signed. So the Padres took over their own broadcasts and that's exactly what they're doing is they pay the announcers, the production crew, the whole works, they rent the truck, the distribution, all of those costs. And their solution is, I believe, to put it on an over-the-air channel to try to make it accessible to everybody. Well, the challenge with that is, is that you have to make up all those costs with ad sales. And then there, the added piece to that is streaming packages so that you know, but if you put it on an over-the-air channel, how many people need to purchase a streaming package? I don't know the answer to that. And, you know, but that could be the way it goes. I don't think it would be as simple as like selling it to MSG like the Sabres are doing. It's going to be more likely where it would be, let's just use our market. And I don't know what the future of this is going to be, but let's say the Twins and or the Wild and the Timberwolves decided that we're going to take over our broadcast. We're going to put them on They'd have to find a channel that was willing to carry them. They would then have to take on all those production costs. They would have to take on all the risk that comes with that. And the, I would assume that in the baseball model, they would think that, hey, part of where we can recoup that is by selling a $20 a month, you can stream all Twins games kind of package. And nobody knows where that's headed. And I, I think the there were some teams that tried to start their own networks a few years back, the Twins included, when they started Victory Sports. And at that time, they found out that trying to make carriage deals with all the local cable companies, not just the big ones like DirecTV, Dish Network, Comcast, but all the small little cable outlets throughout outstate Minnesota, northern Minnesota, and you had to make deals with all of those to carry your channel. And then you had to come up with programming that you could fill that channel when you weren't in season. And that's why the most teams ended up going back to the regional sports networks because somebody like us, like Valley Sports North, could say, we've got the Twins, the Wild, and the Wolves. So if you want those, if you're DirecTV, if your subscribers want to see Twins, Wolves, and Wild, they have to have our channel. Therefore, you have to pay for our channel. So it's it's a complex business model. And now with all the changes to where people are getting their TV, and you know, I've, I've heard it once, I've heard it 40 times from consumers saying, well, I'm not paying 100 bucks to DirecTV when I can get YouTube TV for 35 bucks. And you tell them, well, the reason you get YouTube TV is because they don't pay for any of the channels. So you can't go to a, a car lot and say, I'd like to drive a Cadillac, but I want to pay for a Prius. I mean, it just doesn't, that's <laughs> not the way it works. So there's a lot to be resolved with all of this. And it costs a lot of money to put these shows on the air. And it's, it's a, a big project that trying to make that change in the middle of the season, which is what's happening right now around some of these markets, none of us know where it's headed. And I wish I had an answer. I wish somebody had an answer for me because yeah, there's a chance at some point in the middle of this season that the Twins could take over their broadcast rights from Valley Sports North, start producing the games on their own. And, you know, what that means for guys like me, who knows? Yeah, and I'm sure... Uh... I'm sure your wife would like to know too. I'm sure she's not asking you every day. Uh, uh, she um, she's stopped asking because she knows that 
I'm not one to guess. So when I just say, I don't know. And anybody who says they know is probably not really in the know. So it's, you know, we'll see. And um, my hope is that somehow cooler heads prevail in all this. I know there's some passionate arguments going back and forth. There are some, there's certainly both sides feel like, you know, the, the regional sports networks for like for us, for example, our company declared bankruptcy and went back and said, look, we need to restructure some of this stuff. We think we can make it work if we're allowed to restructure it. The teams feel like, hey, we negotiated these rights deals and they were signed. We expect full payment. So there's some side, there's some angst on both sides and we'll see how it gets resolved. It makes too much sense to make a deal that works for all. And when I say that, I mean it. Valley Sports North is a good outlet for all of these teams but there's got to be some. There's got to be a better fit for making sure that more viewers can see it, that it's accessible to all, and that the teams still make their money from these local rights deals. These are these are huge deals that our company has paid a ton of money for the rights and also the production of all these games for years. And and yet, you know, there's a, there's the added bonus. Just even the things that I work for the twin. We we do pre and post game shows. Well, those are those are valuable. 30-minute shows of content that keep the people watching and talking about the local club that you can't be overlooked. Do you want to take all that on yourself if you're the a team like the Twins of the Wild? I, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is, and, and we'll find out here in the next 6 to 12 months. Absolutely. Um, let's get back to Twitter questions in a second, but I wanted to tell everybody that it's summer and the weather has been great. Well, other, other than it feels like you're inhaling a chimney outside. Uh, but you know what that means. The summer selling is here. Be proactive and take action today, even if you're not right, quite ready to sell your home because you want to be better informed and ready to move forward when the time is right to sell your home. That's why I'm directing you over to Chris Sindel's Real Estate Guaranteed Cash Offers. They're amazing because the market is competitive and they are in the home buying business, so their offers need to be really, really strong. More people are moving again as interest rates have stabilized. Sell your home stress-free with a guaranteed offer from Chris Lindahl Real Estate. There are no showings, no decluttering, no repairs, and no stress. It's the easy way to sell your home. They keep you in control so you can sell your home fast. You can pick your closing date and move when it's convenient for you. To find out what your guaranteed offer should be, go to chrislindahl.com. There's no obligation, or you can call 763-401-SOLD. Again, chrislindahl.com or 763-401-SOLD. Close with confidence and start packing. Terms and conditions apply. And here's a word from Bosch Law Firm. Hey, hockey fans. Jerry Bosch here again from Bosch Law Firm and WorkCompExperts.com. If you're injured at work, it's never too soon to contact the lawyers and awesome staff at Bosch Law Firm. We'll answer all your questions, help you set up your work comp claim, and help you select professionals who will be there to help you, not the insurance company. And with almost 30 years of litigation experience, if your benefits are denied, we'll fight to get you paid. Bosch Law Firm. The call's always free and there's never a fee unless we obtain benefits on your behalf. Call or text us at 651-333-8300 or visit us at workcompexperts.com. As you head into the summer and you get moved out more regularly onto the patio, onto the grill, you got to make sure that you've got the, the right stuff for a, a patio evening. And I think there's a couple of things you can find. You can find them at Kowalski's every time. And number one is the perfect wine for those nights. They had a great wine selection. The The wine shop, particularly at, at my local Kowalski's in Shoreview, has done a terrific job of, 
some different ideas there. It's a, it's always a, an interesting selection that they have available of both reds and whites, but it's always changing. Ask them, they're knowledgeable. And then head over to the cheese and meat counter, the deli counter, because if you're going to sit out there, you want to have the perfect combination. And it's crazy just how good they are. And, and um, I keep talking about how knowledgeable the people are that you're looking for something. Hey, here's the wine I have. What would be a great cheese with it or vice versa? Here's the cheese we're eating tonight. What should I pair it with? And they'll help you out. They'll, they won't steer you wrong. Anytime that you're sitting down for a, a great meal, you got to have the right fixings. And for that, I go to Kowalski's. Back here, Worst Seats in the House, Michael Russo, Anthony LaPanta, Brandon back uh, doing the producing as always, June 22nd, uh, a week from Thursday. Uh, come out to Elsie's, uh, 7 p.m. We'll be doing a live show. Can't wait to do that. Um, as we preview the uh, draft, Anthony's been hard at work uh, going over mock drafts. He's got about six names that he thinks the Wild are going to take at 21. <laughs> I'll talk about I, that. i got to tell you, I haven't looked – at one mock draft yet for this year, I, I I usually don't get too far into that until you get through the Stanley Cup Finals and and then you start to to look and read and take a look at some of the prospect things. And actually, I think your guys at the Athletic do about as good a job as anybody when it comes to describing and doing some of the research and the breakdowns of what the potential draftees have in terms of skill sets and everything. And but everybody that with whom I've spoken continues to talk about how this draft is it's not it's more than just the Connor Bedard draft, that it's four, five, six guys that have the potential to be franchise type players, three, four guys that the a lot of guys are saying they feel will be ready to jump directly into the NHL, and as many as twenty deep that they think will be guys ready sooner rather than later types. I just think it's going to be a fun draft to watch for all those reasons. Yeah, um, I agree with you. Uh, Joe did – we do have like 50 mock drafts. Joe did the wild pick in the latest mock draft that we did, and I told Joe to – if I were him, I'd just trade out of the first round and save himself from having to even do any research. But uh, but he Who decided did he to take a pick. Um, you know what? I don't even know. <laughs> oh, so you're, <laughs> like me, so you don't, you're like me. You don't read the athletic. I'll tell you what. I'll send you Margo's login info, yeah. and then you can, you can check it out. Yeah, I was in a Stanley Cup final mode. Um, let's go back to uh, Twitter questions, though. Old school PhD asks any rumors on the Brock Besser fund. I checked into that uh, the other day, and it's absolutely uh, quiet. He wants to return to Vancouver. Right now, Vancouver's not looking to trade him. Um, and so unless something changes uh, this offseason, uh, Brock Besser will be back in uh, Vancouver. Um, JTP asks, uh, how's the search for Brett McLean's replacement going? Any names emerging as contenders? Timeline for when uh, we'd... Uh, see somebody hired. Um, I think it happens after the draft now because I would think that is the time. Um, I know that Bill Guerin talked to some people, some candidates at the uh, NHL Combine last week in Buffalo, and I've got to think that he'll talk to more candidates at the NHL draft in um, in in Nashville next week. The way it works a lot of times for out of out of work uh, 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 NHL folks that are trying to get back in the business in any capacity, whether it's scouts assistant coaches, whatever, is that they, on their own dime, go to the NHL draft, and they essentially, like draft picks, go meet with different team, team after team after team. So um, I hear that Bill Guerin has some pl- some candidates on the docket that he'll talk to with Dean Evison at the NHL draft as well. So uh, we'll see uh, We'll see who. I still think Mike Van Ryan makes a ton of sense, uh, the former St. Louis Blues assistant coach and 
Tucson Roadrunners head coach. Um, uh, he also coached the Houston Arrows back in the day. Uh, but we'll see. I mean, John Hines is the one that I fully expect that they'd be very interested in. Um, you know, former associate, firm, former head coach, obviously with New Jersey and and um, and Nashville, and uh, again was with Bill Guerin in, in Wilkes-Barre, very, very close. And uh, I think if you hire him as associate coach, that's somebody that would make a lot of sense. Uh, Anthony, you hear anything on this front? No, I haven't. And I haven't talked to anybody about it. I I happened to be with a bunch of our coaches the day that that Brett McLean had decided to take the job in Iowa. And so, and they were, at that moment, it was, news to them for about four minutes so they were all talking about hey we're gonna have to find people that that will replace some key spots on our nhl staff and so i they at that moment they weren't talking anything about specific names or anything and and i haven't talked to anybody since then yep bruce siski asked what kind of package pick some players since it likely have to be oath could the wild move to get into the top five uh ain't happening the teams in the top five are not moving uh, Dave asks, uh, I heard Russo say we don't have any, quote, stud defensive prospects upcoming. How legit are our defensive prospects? Do you see Billy Guerin asking Spurgeon uh, to be open to a trade while he still has some value? Um, no, they're not tra- trading Jared Spurgeon. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, no. That's your no, guy, Chirk182. Don't you know Chirk182? De- their defensive prospects are – don't, I don't know yet if it's time to say that they don't have elite – defensive prospects i think it was just a couple of years ago they were talking about uh, weren't there four defensemen in the world junior tournament and it was like hey look they might have as many defensive prospects as anybody and it's so i I don't know if it's fair to say they don't have elite defensive prospects we'll see yeah and uh you know when i say stud defense i'm just saying they don't have like an eric carlson in their in their pipeline um right and how many teams do yeah but they also might have a better defensive prospects than eric carlson <laughs> currently is i mean only right. eric carlson could get what 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 how many points did he have this year and it was like a minus 30 something i it, mean that's it's a, you know, it was a bizarre yeah. combo yeah let's and he was way. better this year in terms of the plus minus as he as he yeah. than he had been in recent years um lucas lawrence wants to know uh, how does the salary work for guys like liam ogren who have signed entry-level contracts but are playing overseas uh everything just slides so when he comes over that's when he when he turns pro as a north american that's when he'll start getting paid from the wild um, Chris asks, uh, the Wilds offense from its blue line cratered last season after it being a strength traditionally true. Uh, can the wild afford to move on from Addison? Uh, he's been one of the two tough defensemen that can be relied upon to have some production, even if solely on the power play. What do you think of that whole, um, you know, um, thought process by Chris? They see, you know, he's saying, can you move their best offensive defenseman? Yes, because their best offensive defenseman didn't do much offensively five on five. And that's what they really need is a guy that can drive some offense five on five from the blue line. It was what they thought they might get from Klingberg. And they got it occasionally, but not nearly enough. And I'm not saying John Klingberg is the answer, but it was what they were hoping to get from him when they brought him in was a boost five on five with somebody that could could help them start to to create offense from the back end i you know jared spurgeon is going to get his points he's going to end up about in the same spot every year it feels like you can count on him for eight to ten goals and 
somewhere in the mid thirties to 40 points every season. The guy that I still, that I, I just cannot figure out why he hasn't ever gone to the next step <laughs> is Jonas Brodine with score. Yeah. He just looks like a guy that he should be able to generate more offense from the back end than he does. And I keep waiting for the year that all of a sudden, all of his ability to skate, his ability to carry the puck out of the zone starts to lead to more points. And maybe this will be the year if he's paired up with a, let's assume that he's paired with Brock Faber heading into the season. Maybe this is the year that that finally happens. And, and we see him become a, a point guy on the back end. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we'll see. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I'm not saying I'm, predicting that yeah. i'm just saying that he looks to me to be a guy yeah, I, I that agree. should be yeah. able to give you 35 to 40 points as a blue liner with his skill set and it just yeah. has never yeah. it's just it hasn't happened yet yeah he's that, that's the thing he's turning 30 though and what a month and i think he's been in the league 11 years so i don't know if a 12-year defenseman that's turning 30 is suddenly gonna bring what you expect what you hope, but uh, I guess there's always hope, but it ain't happening. He is what he is at this point. It's it's baffling why he just can't add more offenses. It really is. Um, Glenn Stevens asks, uh, do the Wild have any players that would trade, uh, that you would trade for a better spot in the draft? We just talked about that. I mean, you can move no. up a, a little bit, but, but but you know, it ain't it ain't happening. The only one that they could trade maybe to move up in the, is to flip first-round pick and, and trade Marco Rossi for that if they feel like starting over is the right way. Um, here's a good question from Glenn Stevens. Which two players would Anthony like to host at his house for a barbecue, and what would you serve them? Ooh, that is interesting. Well, I got a couple in mind. One, I'd like to learn more about tequila. So Jared Spurgeon would be an interesting guy to include because I know he's – He's a tequila expert. Marcus Foligno would always be one of my choices just because I, I think he'd be a fun guy to have around. And I have a feeling if we if dinner extended into Olympics in the basement, like it almost always does with dart games and shuffleboard contests, for some reason I just have a feeling that Foligno might be a good darts player. So <laughs> I don't know. I think maybe I'd go with those two guys. They might be my... Ryan Hartman actually would probably be a fun guy to have over too because I'll guarantee you he could throw darts. Yeah, I would go uh, Jake Middleton. Um, you, you know, you you you'd like to mer- learn more about tequila? I'll go with the Scotch, and I have a feeling he's a whiskey guy. And um, and I'll go Felino as well. All right, uh, Zach asks, um, odds Suter gets bought out by Dallas, and does anyone uh, sign him after being bought out now twice? If so, who signs him? Um, I don't know about the latter. Um, I will say, I know this is a big talker right now. Um, at least last week when I was working on the NHL trade board and we were talking to source after source after source, the word that I was getting is that Dallas is not uh, uh, buying him out. But uh but we'll see. Obviously, anything could change. Um, Carl Johnson asks, uh, wondering if LTIR is the new cheat code. Anthony just talked about that exact thing. Um, and and he, you know, to your point, Landis got with could be next. Um, you know, it 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 needs to be addressed. I mean, Carl is exactly right. right. Yeah, Ben asks. This is a really interesting trade. I think it's a little too much, but um, but I think he's on the right wavelength here. Who says no? Rossi plus Addison and a second round pick for Logan Cooley. I think that's way too much. Um, but 
I actually think if, if Bill Guerin – I think one thing Bill Guerin needs to do is if he really is intent on signing, on trading Marco Rossi away, I think Arizona is a team he should identify just because the coach there, Andre uh, Tierney, coached him with the Ottawa 67s, has a great affinity for Marco Rossi. I don't know if you can get Logan Cooley in it. You might have to give up all that stuff. Um, but what do you think of a trade like that? And, man, if they could get a Logan Cooley, I think that would be a huge, huge coup. Yeah, I think you're talking about you're probably talking about guys that are at a similar point in their development, so to speak, with Rossi and Rossi and Cooley, in that neither they have neither one of them's proven it at the NHL level yet. But and Cooley was what was he the fourth overall pick in his yep. draft? Yep. And you know, so you're talking about hey, let's take a a number nine guy for a number four guy. You're going to have to give up some extra to to move up those spots and boy, I don't, it's, it's hard to speculate exactly how much you'd give up for in that spot. But I just don't think the wild are ready to say Marco Rossi isn't going to be the guy yet. And it's not to say that if somebody came and said, Hey, we'll, we'll give you Logan Cooley for him that you don't pull the trigger. But I just don't think they're in a spot where they're ready to say this guy isn't going to be what we thought he was. Michael asks, if you look at the Cup champs in recent years, uh, they all have bona fide top centers. Does this mean the next uh, time one comes available, like Eichel Guerin should do whatever it takes or overpay for that player? It seems like a huge playoff X factor. Um, remember, at the context at the time of the Eichel thing was that they were hoping Rossi would be that guy. Um, I completely agree with Michael's assessment. This isn't just recent years. I mean, this is perennially. You need top centers, yeah. not just one top center. Up the middle, like, like I mean, my God, uh, you know, is there is there teams better than than Vegas right now? When you have, uh, you know, Eichel, Carlson, Barbashev, one, two, three, uh, not really. Um, you know, that is, but you know, look, you can't give up the farm. But I agree. I mean, there's certain centers that very rare that they come on the market. Eichel is one of them. The Wild were in there until they weren't, and um, it is. Uh, something that I still think that Bill Guerin needs to take a little more seriously than he does. He always seems to come up with with rationale that says you don't need a top center to le- to win in this league. You do, you do. Yeah, the recent champions have had it, but you know most of those guys have been. You know, I'm trying to think of the the last time it was somebody that went out and got it prior to Vegas this year. Most times, it seems like it's been the guys from within yeah you know you look at what colorado had those were they wound up with a couple picks at the top of the draft and and didn't miss when you look at what tampa did by and large those were guys that came up through their system stamkos and yeah it's so the only one uh at the time is is ryan o'reilly probably um you know where they went out and got him um uh at the time, number one center for St. Louis, but you know, they also right. had a number one D in in Petro, right? Uh, before that, Washington, obviously they drafted Kuznetsov. Before that, Pittsburgh, Malkin and Crosby. Before that, yeah, Chicago, I mean, Taves. Those, before that, LA, Klobuchar. To your point, it's uh, Patrice Bergeron. It's, uh, yeah. Uh, Eichel yeah, and Ryan, Ryan Prior to Vegas yeah. that went out and got, and, and yeah. I'd, Ryan O'Reilly, I'd even argue, is a little different because he wasn't your conventional top line center he yeah. was a he was probably more of like a a number two center a, a great defensive center a good face-off guy but he wasn't like 
I think what people, I don't think people would look at him as what Minnesota needs in order to make a run. They're thinking like, we need McKinnon, we need Eichel, we need Crosby, we, you know, that Backstrom or Kuznetsov or you name it. Those are the guys I think that Minnesota fans are saying you have to have one of those guys to win. Yeah. Uh, Nobbs asks if Winnipeg buys out Wheeler, you think he'd be sign a short term deal similar to what Parisi did in New York, meaning, uh, you know, bonus, uh, uh, one year bonuses. Um, Wheeler would be a nice center uh, add with size for a third line role. Well, first of all, I mean, Wheeler mostly plays wing. Um, the other thing with Wheeler is I don't get the impression he wants to come to Minnesota. You know, the wild that he had a chance to sign here back when he was choosing, um, you know, uh, teams and chose Boston. Um, you know, he doesn't live here in the offseason. He lives in Boca. I, I don't know if Minnesota would be his first choice just because his, uh, you know, address originally yeah, and said he, I don't think he's going to give Minnesota a hometown discount to come here. Yeah, exactly. Um, Aaron Zimmer says, uh, we talked about the LTI uh, loophole uh, a lot on the show. Um, All right, pick I'm, one good question, and then, and then it's got to be the go. end of the show because I'm winding down toward Twins Live. Okay. I don't buy it. Um, <laughs> don't buy it. The game's going into the seventh inning. Any update on Reeves? Uh, no, uh, you know they're still pl- slow playing it. Um, here, here's a good one to end the show on. Rock NHL says on thirty two thoughts. Uh, they were talking about how they expect GMs to start thinking about more short term uh, than previous years after the buyouts. Would you expect Garen to be more aggressive coming out uh, than this before really going for it? I know it's hard to predict two years out. I think a hundred percent. I think when you know what when Bill Guerin bought out Parisian Suter Anthony, what he essentially did for Leopold to approve that is he bought himself three years of latitude here. You know, like hey, uh, you know, the plan is we're going to have to struggle here for the twelve point seven, fourteen seven, fourteen seven of dead money. But when we come out, it's going to be clear sailing. And I think that Craig Leopold is going to expect him to be aggressive. And I do think after three years of not being aggressive, Bill Guerin is going to be champing at, champing at the bit to be uh, to be aggressive. So I fully expect the Wild once this dead money is out to now take advantage of it and and one hope their prospects are to the point where they're going to be really, really, really good. But two, I do think that he's going to go out and, and be uber aggressive. I fully agree. I think the plan all along was that at that point, the prospects would be hitting a level where they're ready to be major role players, fill major roles on an NHL team, not role players, fill major roles, and that they would still have their core intact of the guys they trust and I'm talking about the Brodeen, Spurgeon, Erickson, Eck, Boldy, that, those type of guys that I think it's going to be, we've been waiting, we've been building, we've been putting this crew together to, to build around Kirill Kaprizov, and now we've got the, the financial wherewithal to go out, the cap space to go out and shoot for the stars. And I think it'll be immediate that first year that we'll see this team you know, add a couple of significant pieces and, and let her rip. Yep. Uh, totally concur. Uh, final question is Bill asked, what's your final bankroll status after two trips and minimum of six nights in Vegas? I was definitely there longer than six nights and my bankroll is ugly. Absolutely. <laughs> I cannot even explain to you, uh, how tough this last leg of this trip was. Um, Anthony, uh, fun show. Thanks for doing this from target field. Um, Brandon, thanks for doing this uh, from uh, on location, as we are technically in the Aquarius Home Services studio. 
Next live show, June 22nd at Elsie's. Uh, definitely come on out. 7 p.m. We'll be previewing the draft and free agency. Um, it'll be really, really, really fun. So definitely come on out for that. Thanks, to, as always, to our sponsors, um, which are Aquarius Home Services, your local authorized dealer for Connecticut Water Treatments, Moe's Tavern, Royal Credit Union, Chris Lindahl Real Estate, Bosch Law Firm, and Kowalski's. Thanks, as always, to all the Tuttle's restaurants and Greenbelt as well. Talk to you next week, everybody. So much coming out, there's nothing going in. I know that you feel like you're never gonna win. Oh, but the world won't forgive a winner. Okay, I don't buy it. <laughs>